Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. So I had an idea this morning that I was going to invite some kids to come join me up front, and as I'm looking around, I'm wondering how many of the, and these are kid kids, okay? I know we got kids in their 70s, and we got some kids in their 60s, and got a kid up here in his 40s, but are there any kids that would come, uh, come join me up front to share a story together? What do you think? You guys can do it? Do you think you, think you can do it? Let's give these kids a hand so they can come on up front, guys. Why don't you come jump up front? It's good to see you guys. You have a good Christmas? Yeah. Thanks for joining. I love your dress. That is amazing. You guys see her dress? Isn't that beautiful? That is amazing. You, so you guys had a good Christmas? Did everything work out the way you wanted it to? Hey, buddy. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah. What happened? Open presents. Oh. Open presents and stuff. Yeah. Anybody else have anything exciting happen on Christmas morning? Yeah, buddy. Uh, I got fishing stuff. Fishing stuff. Nice. Excellent. How about you guys? Anything really exciting happening? We gave uh, treats to the firefighters. You gave treats to the firefighters? Did you go and deliver them? And uh, squish them up. Like things that are really big that you can like jump onto. Jump on? You gave them things to jump on? No. Uh, they're like really huge. They're really huge. And they're like huge, really huge pillows. Oh, you gave the firefighters really huge pillows? No. Okay, I'm lost. I'm sorry. I'm trying to follow. It was probably amazing, though. I'm just not, I'm not. Oh, you gave them squishmallows. That's something you eat, not something you sleep on. No, um, like those big pillows that you can jump on. Okay, you can, some pillows you can jump on. I'm still lost, but this is good. It's good. It's good. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me up front. I want to share a little story with you, and it comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we're going to put the pictures up on the screen because it may be kind of hard for you guys to see this, but it's a story of what Isaiah experienced when he heard about the coming of Jesus, and so I want to read this together. You can even look on because you're right behind me, right, buddy? You got the best spot. Way to go. So let me read this story to you. It's called Operation No More Tears. Hey, guys, you know what your name means? Well, there was once a man called Isaiah, and his name meant God to the rescue. Now, that might sound like a bit of a funny name to you, but it was just the right name for Isaiah because God had a special job for him. You see... Isaiah's job was to listen to God and to tell people what he had heard. Now, God let Isaiah know a secret. God was going to mend his broken world, and he showed Isaiah his secret rescue plan, and it was called Operation No More Tears. This is the message that God gave Isaiah, and it was like a letter that God wrote to his children. God said, Dear little flock, You're all wandering away from me, like sheep in an open field. You've always been running away from me, and now you're lost. You can't find your way back. 
but I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you, and so I'm sending you a shepherd to look after you, to love you, to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around a lot, like people in a dark room, but into the darkness, a bright light will shine. It'll chase away all the shadows like sunshine, and a little baby will be born, a royal son. His mommy will be a young girl who doesn't have a husband. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. He is the one that King David's children's children's children's, he is the one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is going to come to rescue you, but he won't be like anyone expects. He will be a king, but he won't live in a palace. He won't have lots of money. He will be poor, and he will be a servant. But, his, but this king will heal the entire world. He will be a hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies, but he won't have big armies and he won't fight with swords. He will make the blind see. He will make the lame leap like a deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be. The people, they may hate him. They may not listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and he will die. It's the secret rescue plan that we have made long before the creation of the world. It is the only way to get you back. But see, he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day, when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout aloud. His fame will fill the entire earth. As the waters cover the sea, everything sad will one day become untrue. Even death is going to die, and he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him, watch for him, wait for him. He will come, I promise. Love, God. Poor Isaiah. He read God's letter over and over to God's people, but no one listened to him, not at all. Ever. They didn't want to hear God's promise. They didn't want to believe it. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me up front. You did an amazing job. Can we give these guys a hand? You guys can run back. See ya. Maybe we should have everybody just come up front. Hey, there's a passage I want to turn to. I think outside of Luke, it's probably the one passage that I go to more often in this Christmas season, and it's in Galatians chapter 4. And what I want to press into this morning is this idea that God wants to be known as our Father. As we see those children come up front, Jesus said, you know, do not suffer the children to come unto me. You know, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And that when we approach God, we're supposed to approach him as a child with a sense of trust, with a sense of vulnerability and innocence. And so the question I have for you is when it comes to the love of God, 
Do you truly believe that God loves you? Now, I know as Christians we're supposed to believe that. For God so loved the world and all whatnot. And so I'm part of the world, and so of course God loves me. So let's not take it to that very generic point of view. If God and I were chatting and your name came up, I mean, what does God think about you? If your name was on his mind and we were talking about, what would he say? Would he say, I am crazy about her? There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. I love her. Or would he say, I'm worn out with him. My patience is running thin. My love is at the end of its rope. What would God say if your name came up? If the story of your life was in front of God and in front of us, what would God, do you truly believe that God loves you? And on what basis does God love you? Is it because you're here today? I mean, is it because of how you live? Is it because of what you give? Why does God love you? Because see, the degree to which we allow the love of God to come in and settle on our hearts and minds, to that degree we'll experience freedom. Freedom in a world that's filled with stories and conflict. Freedom in a world in which we have our broken desires. To the degree we understand and allow the love of God to impact our hearts, to that degree we'll have freedom in the world. The question is, on what basis does God love us? And so I want to jump into this passage in Galatians. We're going to start in chapter 3, and we're really going to focus mainly in chapter 4. And though it may not initially sound like a Christmas passage by the end, I think you'll kind of you kind of speed up to where this story comes into the story of Christmas. And so let's jump into it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. He says, Now before faith came, so before Jesus came, before the gospel came, we were held captive under the law. See, we were imprisoned until the coming faith that would be revealed. So then... The law, the law was like a guardian. It's like a tutor, a teacher, until Christ came. In order that, the law was in this place, in order that we might be justified, we might be accepted by God by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You're all sons of God through faith, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring. And you are heirs according to the promise. So he goes on to explain in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child... He's no different from a slave, although he does own the whole estate. He owns everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive adoption as sons. And see, because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, 
You were no longer a slave, but a son. And since you were a son, God has made us also heirs. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, would you teach us and guide us? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. So jump back. In verse 26, for Christ, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. See, why does God love and accept us? It's not because of what we've done. When he's stating it's through faith in Christ that God has made you sons, and sons includes daughters. We're going to get into that. It's, that's bothering some of you. That's not mentioning daughters as well. We're going to press into that in a moment. But when he says that we are sons through faith in what Christ has done, it's talking about the basis, the foundation for which God loves us. That the foundation for which God loves me is not based on my performance. Now, that's kind of how I live, and you live there. I mean, you sometimes assume that God's love is based on your performance. And when your performance is bad, hey, he must not be really pleased. He must not love me. He must not cherish me. But when things are going well, you feel stronger. Paul's saying it's through faith that we're accepted. It's through faith that we're made children. This is the foundation. This is the grounding for which God loves us. He loves us because of our faith in what his, his son has done to us. And see, it's that basis, it's that foundation in Jesus that should lead us to respond to God and what he's done for us in obedience out of love. Because see, in all relationships, now you can check yourself on this, think about the relationships that are closest to you. Every relationship is, is founded really in law. In my relationship with my wife, we have some pretty important laws. One is not to commit adultery. It's pretty important. Do not lie, do not slander. Now, if you come over to my house, you may be surprised that those laws are not written anywhere. We don't have on the refrigerator, you know, do not slander or do not lie or do not speak harshly, do not commit adultery. Now, if I did some of those, certainly the, the big one, it could jeopardize the relationship. But why don't we put those laws out in our home? Because, see, my obedience isn't based on law. It's based on my love for my wife. And, see, where there is love for someone... It's not fear of the law, it's, it's fear of injuring the relationship. And so I don't have to be reminded not to commit adultery. I love my wife and therefore I want to cherish her, I want to honor her, I want to honor that relationship and it's going to build it up. It's driven out of love, not out of law. And see, Paul's saying that's where we should be. That because of what Jesus Christ has done, we should obey the law of God naturally. Why? Because we want to honor him. We recognize what he's done for us. We want to cherish his love. And so it's through faith in what Jesus Christ has done that he has made us children. And it's out of the love that God has given us that we want to obey him. Not just because of the law, but because of, because of grace. And so how deep does this intimacy run? What I want to do is look at verse 27. And he uses this language, For as many of you who are baptized into Christ, you have literally, like a coat, you have put on Christ. And so because you've put on Christ... Christ defines you. He's your identity. Now, you still may be Jews and Greeks. He's not saying that your, your cultural backgrounds are gone, but they don't define you the way Christ does. There's neither slave, verse 28, slave or free. There's neither male or female, for you were one in Christ Jesus. See, in Jesus' day, unlike today, I mean, I'm looking out at you, we're pretty much wearing the same thing, though different colors, 
doesn't matter whether you have a lot or you have a little. It's very hard to tell on the basis of what you're wearing right now, your status. Now, I can, I can get some clues, but not much. Now, in Jesus' day, you could tell somebody's status, their ethnicity, their background, their education based on what they wore. You wore your identity. And Jesus is saying, stop putting your identity in what you have or your ethnicity or your gender. Put your identity in me, meaning the way that you see God and the way you see others should be through me. Not through what you have or what you've accomplished. You've got to put Jesus on. And the reason the Father accepts you is through Jesus. And so the way you move out to the world should be through that relationship, through what Christ has given you. And so he says those barriers that used to divide us, they should start they should start to be taken down. And he mentions the barriers in verse 28. He mentions first cultural barriers are not more important than faith in Christ, Jew and Greek. He says class barriers are not more important than faith in Christ, free and slave. And then he says gender barriers are not as important as faith in Christ. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And if that's true, the reality is we are heirs of the promise. That all the Old Testament said, what we read about in Isaiah, all of the promise that God had given to his people, we have received the fullness of those promises through faith in what Christ has done. So here's the question. As we jump into chapter four, what are the promises? They give us confidence that God loves us. So watch this in verse one. And he's gonna use an illustration. We gotta wrestle with the illustration a little bit because it's an old one. It's not something we relate to easily. He says, I mean, verse one, that the heir, and an heir is a child, so we're thinking about a seven-year-old. And here's this seven-year-old, his father owns this huge estate, and one day, he's gonna be sitting on the throne. He's gonna own everything. But right now, he's just an heir, and he's also a child. But because he's a child, see, he's no better than a slave. Now why, because he can't make his own decisions. He's still a child, and there's this guardian, and see, guardians were ruthless. I mean, guardians took rulers, and they smacked your knuckles. Guardians were lawgivers, and a guardian was hired by your parents to make sure you became the kind of person you're supposed to be to become an heir. Does that make sense? And they didn't care how they treated you. All they cared is that you obeyed. And so imagine that kind of teacher who's a taskmaster. Anybody have somebody like that? Just an absolute taskmaster. They always treated you based on whether you did good or did bad, and so you never quite knew how well you were doing. Because their love and acceptance was always based on, okay, you're doing well, now you're doing bad, now you're doing well. Even though you own the whole estate, right now you're under law. And law says you are what you do. You are what you have. You are what you've accomplished. And see, that's the idea of who we were apart from Christ. That all of us live under the law. On the one hand, we live under God's law and that we haven't lived up to his expectations. But here's the truth. You don't live up to your own expectations. If you took the way that you judge others, simply take the way you judge others, the way you see the world, and you apply that to yourself in God's presence, you wouldn't stand. Can we be honest? You don't live up to your own standards. And everything that you love sends law out into your life. If you love money, money's not going to love you back. Money's going to send out law into your life. You've got to hold on to me. You've got to make more of you. If, you. if you live for beauty, beauty sends out laws. As soon as you stop losing that beauty, as soon as you gain a few pounds, right, what happens? It, beauty doesn't love you anymore. 
Whatever you set your heart on, it sends out laws into your life. And see, those laws will condemn you and kill you because the reality is you're going to fail. It's a taskmaster. At some point, you're going to fail. At some point, you're not going to live up to the fullness. And so he says in verse 3, he takes this story and he unpacks it. So with us, when we were children, meaning when we were under law, and then he uses this interesting phrase, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the world. It sounds kind of very spiritual and strange, doesn't it? But the basic idea of elemental spirits of the universe is the idea that you are what you do. That your value and worth is based on what you've done or what you have, whether you've been successful or not. That is the idea of salvation by works. That I, I am what I have done, I am what I have gotten. And so what he goes on to say is, here, how, here is how Jesus has broken us from this idea that I am what I do to I am what God has done for me. And see, that's where freedom comes in. Because if I am what God has done for me, then I'm secure. I'm secure in what Christ has done. I'm secure in what he has given us. And God wants me to know that I am his child, but he doesn't want me just to know it intellectually. Here's the beautiful thing about this passage. He wants me to experience it. He wants me to revel in it. He wants me to be overwhelmed by it. So watch what happens in verse four when we get into this story of Christmas. He said, but when the time... When the hour had fully come, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, who was born of a woman. He was fully man. But notice, he was born under the burden of the law, that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. He fulfilled God's requirements for us. And here was the purpose, to redeem those under law. Why did Jesus come? Notice how verse 5 ends, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. You know, you can answer that question, why did Jesus come in many ways? He came to forgive our sins. You know, it says that Jesus came to restore, to redeem. Jesus came to, in some ways, to set back what sin had destroyed. But one of the main ways that we understand what Jesus has come to accomplish is that Jesus came so that we might be adopted as the children of God. Because, see, that adoption isn't something we can gain for ourselves. It's not through our obedience or our goodness that God's going to welcome us us in. It's rather through what Christ has done. And what Paul's saying is, as children, to know God's love, you have to know two realities. One's very objective and one's very subjective. The first is that God has sent Jesus into the world. And why did he send him? So that we might be children. But see, it's not enough just to have that. That's, that's intellectual. That's truth. That's justification by faith. But see, you need more than that. You need to experience it. You need to revel in it. And so God also, when he sent Jesus, he also sent the Spirit. Why did he send the Spirit? So the reality of being a child would overwhelm you. The reality of God's love would transform you. It would change your heart. It would change your mind. We are transformed through the renewing of our minds, but our minds have to start touching our hearts and changing us. See, he's telling us, he's showing us the foundation for which we can trust that God loves and receives us. And so let me press into this idea of sons. Because I know we have a lot of women in the room, and you probably don't see yourselves as sons, and that's okay. And many people, when they read the Bible, they think, you know, the Bible is written in a time in which women were not valued to the same degree as men, and that's influencing the scripture. And it's true, in that culture, women were definitely not valued. But I want you to understand what Paul's saying here is radical for women. Because when he uses the word heir and sons, he's talking about a firstborn male. 
Firstborn males received like three-fourths of the estate. They received their father's ring. They received the father's coat. Kind of long, and then the kid comes home, remember that? And they kill the fattened calf. And he receives the father's identity and he receives the father's ring. Well, a firstborn male would receive everything. He would represent the family. And the secondborn male, he'd get something. But listen, it wasn't much. It wasn't compared to the firstborn male. And he is saying to women, to men, all of you are firstborn male. All of you are inheritors. All of you are equal in Christ. See, that was radical because it caused people to see women differently, to say that God fully accepts them, fully receives them. In that culture, it was absolutely scandalous that all of us stand before Christ equal, receiving completely his love and his acceptance. That's the truth of what Christ has done. He has made us heirs. And then more than that, he goes on to tell us And the reason that he's done this, we have full rights of sons. And see, because we have full rights of sons, he sent somebody else. He sent the Spirit. And why did he send the Spirit into your life? So that in those moments you really need it, you might experience the love of the Father. So that the Spirit within you would cry. Have you seen those videos when, you know, the sergeant, what is it, the soldier comes home? I love those. You know, you see them all over YouTube, all over Facebook, all over the place. And whether it's, it's a mom or a dad and right there at school, you know, and the, the kids up front, you love the story. Or maybe they're, they're given a presentation and they're looking a certain way and then they see their father. They cry. It's a reaction. It's the overwhelming sense of my father is here. See, that's what the Spirit does. When, now realize when we're focused on what Jesus has done. Why don't we experience the love of the Father? Because often we're just focused on the love of the Father. Father, love me, love me, love me. No, look at my son. I I, I want you to do something. You know, I want you to go back and look at all the way that that the New Testament letters begin. You know, Paul will say things like, um, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to his pleasure and will. What's that? What, what's that book? You know it. It's Ephesians. How about this? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. What book is that? It's First Peter. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, were thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the firstborn. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. What book is that? It's Colossians, right? Why do all these books begin like that? Because it's, look at him. Look at him. Go read Ephesians chapter 1, and you will see a run-on sentence. He's lavished grace. He's chosen to give you by his pleasure and will. God chose you. Do you know what was his pleasure to do it? You were a mess. Wouldn't be my pleasure. You were a complete mess, and yet God lavished. Read the language. You know, we skip that, and we go to the commands. What do I need to fix? What do I need to do? No, you don't get it. The commands will kill you if you don't have the foundation of his love. And what the Spirit of God is saying is, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
Stop looking at yourself. We have such a, a need to look at our own failures. And, and, and we need to change. We need to repent. We need to own what we've done. But when, you, when you're sitting in your own brokenness, you need to look at Jesus. You need to look at what he's done for you. You need to study it. You need to be mesmerized by it. You need to memorize it, and you need to pray it back. Because, see, that's what activates the spirit in your life. And you know it'll start happening. And it takes a little time. Listen, it, it takes time. It's, it's not like it's going to happen the same way every time. The spirit starts saying, you're loved by him. Listen, listen, I know your sin is there. I know your brokenness. You're chosen by him. He is with you. Would you cast your burdens on him? Would you stop being anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition, would you present your request to him? Would you allow the peace of Christ to rule your heart? The more you start looking at Jesus, the more the spirit of God will start reminding you of who you are. Are you doing it? Listen, it takes work. Can I make a suggestion? We're about to head into 2022. 2022, I'm, I'm getting old. I remember in the year 2000, remember that when you were a kid? And you're like, how old will I be? I was going to be 25, right? And I thought, man, that's old. It's now 2022. So anyways, you guys are with me. Um, one of the best ways you can begin the year is just shut it off. Now, what do I mean? What distracted you this year? Yeah, it, it was distracting, but what distracted you? Hey, what can you shut off for one month? If you want a media fast, that may, for some of you, be the hardest thing in the world. Food may not be as difficult as turning off your news, turning off your radio, turning off whatever you go to, turning off social media. What is it that if you shut off, you may find there is all this wealth of opportunity to either gaze on Jesus or to gaze on the people God's given you? Would you enter 2022 by saying, hey, what can I set aside? And then what can you pick up? Would you learn to gaze on what Jesus has done? Would you start to be saturated? Would you start to pray? It's called prayer, meditation, it's scripture reading. It's community. It's getting around people who are passionate about Jesus. And you know what happens when you're around people that are passionate about Jesus? You start to be passionate about Jesus. And whether that's women with women or men with men or couples with couples, you need to get into community. You've got to press into this. Let's start 2022 by doing what inactivates the spirit to cry out, to cause us to remind us ourselves that we are loved by the Father. Let's do what's necessary to gaze upon Jesus. And then as you gaze on what you allow God to work on that stuff that's in you, whether it is the brokenness or the sin or the addictions would you bring people into your life that love you enough to walk with you through that? Because you can't do this alone. You know, sometimes, often, I'll tell you as a pastor, I need a brother next to me who says, no, Jason, we're not gonna look at your sin. We're not gonna look at you. We're gonna look at Jesus right now. Because that's not what you need. You don't need to gaze upon this and this. You need to gaze upon him. I'm gonna love you enough to take you in that direction. Are we gonna be that kind of community together that we fight for one another to look upon Christ so that the spirit might cry out, Abba, Father, and that we may live as children? You know why? You know why? Because you feel like children. And the most natural thing for us to do is to obey our Father when we know the depths of his love. Hey, we're gonna celebrate communion as we close today. If you didn't grab the elements on the way in, they're available. I wanna give you a moment, an opportunity to go grab those elements. They're available in the back. 
They're also, they should be, I think, available up here in the front as well, and I want you to grab those elements. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you know this table is open for you. That we receive this communion, this sacrifice, this reminder of what Christ has done because we belong to him. And in belonging to him, we want to renew the foundation of our relationships, to recognize the reason God accepts us is because he laid down his life on the cross for our sin and that he rose again victorious from the grave. And right now, Jesus, I don't know if you know it, he's at the right hand of God the Father. And I don't know if you know where you're seated. You're on his lap. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You know that the one who is before all things and in all things and all things held together is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And God's love, his security, your identity is wrapped up in what Christ has done. So as we celebrate communion, would you, in just a a few moments of silent prayer, just reflect on what is keeping you from receiving the fullness of what Christ has done. Would you ask the Spirit, Spirit, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to turn off in 2020 so that I may gaze upon what you have done for me? Let's pray. Jesus, it was for the joy, it was for the joy that was set before you, that you were willing to endure the cross. You scorned its shame, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And no one took your life but Jesus, You laid down your life of your own accord. You are the good shepherd. You knew us fully. You knew us completely in our sin and our brokenness. And so, Father, we just, we don't want to hide. Not in your presence. There's no place to hide in light. Because when the light, when the light is revealed, the darkness, the darkness flees. And so we confess our sins to you because you are faithful and just and you forgive us our sins, and you cleanse us, Father, from all unrighteousness. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and gave thanks, and he said, take and eat, for this is my body, which is is broken for you. Receive this together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, the new, the relationship that is founded in my blood. Receive this as children in remembrance of him.